Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Most of, many of you know this, that I wanted, I had a, as a little child, I had a plan that I wanted to go to hell when I died. That's not news to, to a lot of you, but I, I really would, I would sit in church services and, and especially the music, man, it, it would be, be going long or whatever, or the service would be going long and the guy would get up with the mic and say, isn't heaven going to be wonderful? We're going to do this forever. And me as a child was like, I'm out on that. Surely hell can't be that bad. And it's, it sounds like a, a silly joke, but in my little kid brain, I really did think that, you know, I really did think that I wanted to go to hell, that I would denounce, that I would denounce Jesus on my deathbed. I figured I'd be a really old man, probably have a white beard or something, you know, I'd be passing away and be like, I don't believe in Jesus and, and die. That's what I thought I would do. So that I would go to hell and, 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 um, but then once I was there, I would have played a trick and, um, and I did believe in him. And that would give me some sort of power to not be tormented down there. But I would not have to go to church for the rest of eternity. You know? So that was the scheme. That was the plan for, for, for a while there as a child. And I'm not making that up. That's real. And um, obviously, when I came to the Lord, you know, I'd grown up going to a church with my family and stuff. But when I came to the Lord... It was because I started having a series of experiences and encounters with the Lord. And even with the, the, the scope, this eternal scope that heaven and God and this, this thing was a whole lot bigger than what you could see with your natural eyes. God really started knocking on my door in some ways, literally. And so I started to encounter him supernaturally and have these these, this, these encounters with him and starting to believe in him and gave my life to him and started trying to walk even though it was somewhat of a crooked walk I will be the first to admit it you know what I mean it wasn't the cleanest walk but I was walking in the direction of the Lord and, and, and learning to know him learning to know the word and the Bible even though I couldn't I couldn't understand the Bible at all you know even when I was saved for the first several years I would read the Bible out of discipline every day I would read chapters out of it but I could almost it was almost like reading the phone book for me you know what I mean I just I, I almost couldn't really understand the stories or the names of like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Saul and you know what I mean Bartholomew all these people like I couldn't like who's who you know what I mean if it's not a movie and they look different then I can't really I couldn't really picture it until I started to come into um, the Bible in a real profound way and the Lord kind of opened my mind for that but anyways Nicole and I were first married we lived in Moravian Falls and I remember a, a supernatural encounter that I had. It was a dream that I had. And I've, and I've shared this here before. Some of you will have heard this. But I didn't realize that even as a Christian, I still had a very religious grid of God and eternity and heaven. Although I had come out of like, I mean, I obviously didn't want to go to hell anymore. I didn't have that scheme that I had as a kid. I wasn't that scared of heaven as I was as a kid. I knew it was probably much better and going to be good. But there was something in me that I didn't realize that was still kind of dreading the whole religious deal, you know. Didn't, never a fan of going to churches and sitting through sermons or anything like that for, for certain, really. Um, but, you know, I was first married with Nicole, and we were living in Moravian Falls, and I had this dream that was so vivid and so very real. One of those dreams that's like a vision. It's like you're not really asleep. It feels like you're, you were really there, man. And in this dream, I actually had gotten up from our bedroom, and we had a second bedroom in our house, and... 
and it was kind of like an office study room or whatever, had an old desk in there. And, and I went in there to sit down as I, as I did often, but there was a woman in the room. And this woman, I had the knowledge that she was from, actually from heaven, and she was in my house. And so this lady from heaven was in my house, and it was very realistic, very real, but she was sitting across the desk from me, and I was interviewing her. And, and I, had, I was able to ask her three different questions, and I was just talking to her. And it was so very real, man. You get, in, you get into these situations, and we're not as religious or even as analytical inside of experiences with the Lord as we are in the, in the real world, you know what I mean? So I had no clue. Like, the fact that this woman was actually from heaven was so very real, and it was as if she was from Puerto Rico. Some place you could just fly as like, no, where's that again? Oh, heaven, right. You know what I mean? It, just, it didn't fully click. It clicked, but it didn't click. I also knew that she had used to live on the earth. She was a cloud of witnesses, right? She's one of these from the book of Hebrews, you know, chapter 12 and 13, where they talk about these, these great heroes in chapter 11, these cloud of witnesses in chapter 12. But I didn't really even have that. That concept was just so real. It was so normal that it was like it was a very real interaction in a real place. And she was a real person from there who was visiting me and used to live here on the earth. So I know that's strange, um, but welcome to the Hoff if you're a visitor, you know. <laughs> Um, so I'm sitting here talking to this woman and I have these three questions and, and I, I've gone over it before so I won't go over much of it um, but the, some of these things that she was communicating to me one thing was that, that really struck me was that, that the people that you would think would be famous there would be really big names there were not always the people that were really famous and really had big names there and I knew as a young man that this, and I had been through ministry training, I'd been through school, I had interned with a pastor. I, I actually was very, I was privileged to, to be around a lot of really people that are really well-known ministry people, you know, air quotes, successful in ministry. And they had a lot of connections and all these things. And I was kind of, somehow I was just fortunate to be around all that early. I just got pulled into it. And so I was around a lot of people that would have, you would think would be really famous. And I, you know. But when she communicated that, that hey, that th those people who you would think to be famous there are not exactly the ones that are the famous ones there. Amen. And I knew what she was saying. A lot, you know, it, just because your show was on, you know, TBN on the channel or whatever, and you got a huge following in a mansion, doesn't exactly equate to clout or to fame or to status on that side of the tracks. And what she was communicating there to me was it was like people who people who live this life in relationship to the Lord, this, this conform to His image, this real true relationship and bear, bearing real fruit in the world, that's what transfers onto the other side of the tracks. And so I remember hearing that loud and clear. She also said something about those who serve you there. Um, it, it, it's almost awkward. I, I forget the wording. I haven't looked at this in a while, but it was like, it's awkward the things which will serve you over there, just, just how great they are. And I thought, I remember she, she said she, it was like the beings, almost like the angelic or the creatures or whatever they were. So anyway, so there's some Lord of the Rings weirdness for Sunday morning. So that was the other thing. And the very end of the, the, the conversation in the interview, she said, do you have anything else for me? And um, I literally sat there and I said, compared to what you thought it would be when you lived on the earth, one to 10, how did it measure up compared to your expectations? And I promise, I remember when I asked her that question, 
for some reason, the number that I had in mind was seven. Like, when you were on the earth, and you, you knew you were, you know, heaven someday, like, so did, did it measure up to what you thought it would be? Was it that great? And I just had a feeling, she was like, it's a seven. Kind of like, yeah, it's like super good. I mean, it's not like, you know, a ten, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, woo, you know what I mean? But it's, it's not like, you know, church for the rest of your life. You know, it's definitely, definitely an upgrade. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking was going to happen, a seven. And I was like, you know, one to ten, what do you, what do you say? And she spoke directly to me. She said, 50. And when she said 50, I remember I completely broke in my chair. And I started weeping. And I'm not a very weepy person or whatever. And I wasn't even, didn't even see that coming. But when she said 50, it, it, was, it, was, it, it was as if you, you have no ability to even comprehend how wonderful your inheritance truly is on the other side of the tracks. And... Um, it really just broke me, and I was, and I started weeping in into my chair, kind of hunched back down. I was just going, oh, you know what I mean? And it was like there was wind blowing on me. I remember that, and and um, then I woke up, just got, you know, Nicole's laying next to me, and there's no woman across from me that I'm interviewing this lady, and and um, it was just one of those things where it was just very, very profound. But it was one of these encounters where I felt like one thing was the Lord was hitting something at a very at a root inside of my heart. Um, concerning my expectation of the inheritance that we have, not even just on this side, but on the other side, you know, like the reality of heaven, which we're called to embody in order that heaven would flood the earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, heaven, and your will be done on the earth through the go-between, through humanity, as it is in heaven, you know. Give us this day our daily bread, the bread that flows, the, the words of your very mouth, the river of, your, of life that flows from your throne. Let it spew and, and be released all over the earth, this mission that we have. And it's, it's like if we can, ha- we can have a stronghold or a misconception about God in any, in any way, um, that limits us from our function here on the earth. Does that make sense? And I remember it hit that, that, that fear of heaven that I had as a little boy and dread of thinking it's probably not even that going to be that good of a deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because God surely isn't that good, because that's really what it comes down to, an accusation of what he has for us. Well, he thinks it's good for us, but we don't like it. You know what I mean? And it shattered that grid. Another thing that it did at a very young age, as somebody who was being around a lot of people and was seeing a lot of things which would have maybe even be considered ministerial success, is you could see these things as they are, um, but it was almost like, hey, there's, there's a greater importance in being conformed into the image of Christ and being fruitful in every season of life or every place and sphere of life that you find yourself. And that's important to God. You know what I mean? It's, it's that this reality that so many times we're looking for something even in the ministerial game, it's like we're looking for something that we see will be success. But some of our greatest heroes in the Bible that everyone's teaching, they didn't see those things as success, building these kingdoms. They saw actually knowing the Lord. Like we told you about Saul bin Laden turned to Paul. He's, he's over there talking about a lot of his accreditations and a lot of these things that people will think were such a great gain. All these, these things that were a gain counted as a loss, you know, compared to knowing Jesus. He, caught, he, he counted 
that kind of stuff as dung compared to actually knowing the Lord Jesus. It's like, hey, you can know him and you can walk with him. And in that life, you'll be fruitful and multiply everywhere you're at. And so then the Bible is full of these stories, which I don't see how we've gotten it so backwards, with the king, the eternal king himself walking around on the earth. And he had crowds around him at some points, but usually he dragged them out into the wilderness. So it was still out, out, out of dodge, you know what I mean? But often it was him in private settings doing these incredibly miraculous things that we get to see, you know. And then his apostles and, 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 and his prophets were treated like garbage. And then his apostles and they do all these wonderful things. But half the time you got them saying stuff like this, like, hey, that stuff's not success, man. Success is actually knowing Jesus. It's actually having a relationship to him and walking with him in a way that reality, diagnoses, you know, situations that happen in the world, they have to bow and yield to you because the gravity of the one you're walking with trumps the gravity and the natural laws of this plastic matrix of a planet. Amen. Yeah. And that's been the whole game. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's the point of the thing, is to live as a citizen of another world who's subject to the laws of that world and not of this one. You know what I mean? That's not limited by this one. And by living that way in this earth, people actually see that place and they smell that home cooking. Did that make sense? It's like, you know, like you go to your grandma's house or your mom's house, Thanksgiving, you smell... Like, oh man, I forget what my house smelled like I grew up in. Uh, you know what I mean? Or I, I always smells like there's pot roast or something in there or turkey or whatever it is. Like you smell that like, it's like, oh yeah, I forget this smell. But it's like people have those memories. Eternity is in the heart of all mankind, it says, right? Ecclesiastes 3.11. And it's like people have the memories of that eternal place. You know what I mean? You know, Chris Cornell used to sing about that, man. He's like, I know I was there at one point. I just can't remember it. I know I'm going back there. I just can't remember it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, nobody knows. That's Soundgarden, Audio Slave. But anyway, this guy, I mean, these people have this memory of heaven. And when they smell it, they're like, wait, that smells like my house. That smells like my home that I, I don't, I've never remembered before this moment. You know what I mean? And it wakes us up. Oh, my gosh, it's not a place of torture and torment and dread or control and staunch religion, it's a place of utter freedom, and I'm supposed to be there. And the messengers of light, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, Saul, Saul bin Laden turned Paul, and we told his story, like, we, we can just, we can tell his story again today, like, um, to be continued, right, from last week, the, the message was called the, um, the cloth and the, the shadow and the cloth hitter. And we left that message off where, Paul was getting arrested because he had this revelation of Jesus. He had this experience where he was enveloped in light. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute a bunch of Christians. He was super zealous for the law and trying to literally wreak havoc on the church and Christianity. And he got enveloped in light and met the Lord Jesus and instantly flipped his allegiance. Instantaneously flipped his allegiance. And he had an issue with his eyes that he didn't know he had so this guy named Ananias comes and prays for him, and these what looks like scales peels off his face, off of his eyes. In other words, you've been seeing through the snake's tree the knowledge of the good and evil, and so you've seen me in a wrong way. You're kicking against the goads. You're going backwards, but I'm going to 
turn you around. You know? We left off at the very end because Saul, who becomes Paul, he's, he's literally there in jail, you know, being harassed. He's being arrested and the Jewish people are trying to, trying to kill him. And the Romans are like guarding him from them, even though they think he's like an Egyptian assassin or something like that. And he literally gets led up some steps and he actually starts to preach to all of his Jewish brethren because they have to listen to him. And he, and he explains to them how God is the one who's brought him and given him this platform. And how not only that, but that his heart and his mind are completely at peace. Which causes them to flip their lids and punch him in the face and then start to accuse him because that was the root of his power. You know, that while he was the greatest of all sinners, God had actually, actually valued the fact that he was zealous, even though he was playing for the complete wrong team. And he picked him, completely and totally had full forgiveness for him and gave him, and gave him platform and gave him function in life to come alive. And so now he's going around doing all these miraculous things and the Jews are trying to shut him out. But he's like, hey guys, you remember me. You know me. I used to be like you. Actually, I used to be even more zealous than any of you. And so you know if I've been turned around like this, there must have been some real, this ain't Kool-Aid, man. This is something real. And you might want to listen to what I have to say, you know. So it's really interesting. But part two of last week's message, sorry if you weren't here, um, but the Apostle Paul, he gets put in these positions constantly to where it's not about where he's going, but it's about where he is. And we left off where he just got arrested and he spoke to this crowd of Jewish people and they hit him in his mouth, but he hit the nail on the head because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then they had to put him back in the jail again just to keep him safe, right? So that night... He goes, he goes to sleep, but it says right there in the book of Acts, I better turn over there, huh? I'm going to talk about it. But it says right there when he goes to sleep where he was, or where he was staying, I think I'm in Acts 23 by now, right? Yeah, 23.11. So that night, it says the following night, the Lord comes and stands by him in his jail cell. And remember, this guy, Paul is... He's just a different bird, man. And he's, he's really about it. But he's, he's borne so much fruit in his life at this point that I think he's okay going home if, he, if he's going home. But it says Jesus stands by him, stands in his, and he says, Be of good cheer, Paul. Like, hey, be happy. As you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness of me in Rome. And, and it's interesting. You know, it says that, that very day, there was, a, there was a plan to, to basically assassinate him. They were going to try to get him to be transported from one place to another. And, you know, Jews were going to kill him and all these types of things. But the Romans end up getting, a, getting heads up about it. So it's, it's interesting. Like, he had, a, he had a hit on his life. But because he was under the Gentile Roman guard, like, it's like he had bodyguards paying for him. Everybody see Coach Prime these days? You know, was he coach of Colorado? He's got those, those bodyguards around him. You see those shirts they wear? His bodyguards are like, they're ready. Just, I don't know why he has bodyguards all around him, but he does. But anyhow, so, so Saul bin Laden, Paul has bodyguards around him, but they're the Romans. So it's like he's got the machine working for him to protect him from his own people so that he can have platforms to speak the gospel to 
everywhere he goes and for it to spread over the whole world. It's pretty brilliant, and he knows it. Not only that, he knows that Jesus has told him, hey, it's okay, I'm, I want you to go to Rome. So he's like, oh, so, the, so I, have, I have a get out of jail free. I, I, have a, I know that God's plan is to get me all, all the way over there. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I can sit back and, and, and coast through this ride for the rest of the day. It's like that woman told me. A lot of the people that are famous over there are not necessarily people that are famous over here. And I feel like this. The trap a lot of times is like when I, when I feel like I achieve this certain level of spiritual awakening, I'll be able to function in my ministry. I'll be able to share the Lord with people. Or, or when I have a big enough audience, then I'll be an evangelist. And then I'll be this and that. And in reality, I think sometimes we... we throw the baby out with the bathwater because we don't realize like the audience is wherever we're at right here and right now and that opens the doors to the next steps something we talk about here a lot but Saul bin Laden aka Paul he's sitting there and Jesus says hey you're going from here to there so he has this picture of where he's going to be I'm going to Rome I'm going to testify to Caesar this is going to be a big deal However, it's not like, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I get there? It's like, no, he's told me that's where, it's, where I'm going. So that's on him to get me there. I'm going to be here right now, and I'm going to use any opportunity he brings around me. And that's the game right there. That's the mindset that he has. It's like, hey, it's his job to bring me where I'm going, but my job is to be a light and to be life right here and right now. You know? And so it's, it's interesting. If, if you just, if you, I, I might kind of just cliff the notes this so it's not very long. But if you read the book of Acts, you know, chapter 23, that happens. Um, uh, you know, chapter 24, he gets brought in in, in, in front of the, the, um, the governor. And he's there. And it's so interesting. He's, he speaks to the governor who actually has a Jewish wife. And so he's, he, there he is. He's like, there I was on the way to Damascus in this light. You know what I mean? Like he's telling that same story. If I made this into a movie, it'd be hilarious because it would be his, him saying that same story, or at least the intro of it, like five different times in five different places with all these audiences. And every time the audience gets bigger, it's hilarious. The more they tried to shut him down, the more he ends up in like auditoriums with like big famous groups and everything all around him. So it's, it's really brilliant. But he's, he's there in front of the governor and... He, he, he's explaining this stuff to him. You know what I'm saying? It says like he's, he's explaining it, and he even the governor used to call him back and forth over this couple-year period, and he would go to the governor and his wife and whoever the people that he would have around him, the elites, and um, he, would, he would tell him about the kingdom. He would tell him about Jesus. He would tell him about the judgment at the end, and he would tell him about the way things are going to go down, and it actually really creeped Felix out. He was very afraid of him. You know, he kind of got worried about it, really, because he had his, you know, he wasn't, he was worldly, you know what I mean? And so, anyways, Felix ends up getting replaced by this guy named, um, oh, sorry, Festus gets replaced by a guy named Felix, and it's another, it's another governor who, who has Paul and says, like, all right, well, let me hear this story. So here goes Paul again. He's in front of the governor and his governor's audience, and he's like, all right, so here's the story. I was... On my way to Damascus, you know, this light showed around me. I was this way, I was that way. This is what's going on. So now he's got an audience with the governor, you know what I mean? And security to say whatever he wants. Now while he's with the, with the governor there named Festus, so he's been from Festus, I'm sorry, and then to Felix. 
Then there comes this guy named King Agrippa. He's probably a fairly young king. And he was coming through Caesarea to meet Festus, the new governor. And this is like, this is Herod's, one of Herod's son or grandson, right? You know what I mean? This is the king of the Jews. So it's like, the governor's like, yo, I don't know what to do with this Paul guy because the Jews want me to kill him, but there's really nothing that he's done. He's, he's, he swears this guy named Jesus they knows came back to life and talked you know, talk to him. They're really mad about it, but it's like, I can't just execute him over this. Like, they're, they're really tiptoeing because they understand what happened with Jesus and the cross created some real drama in their region. And they're like, they're trying to tiptoe around all of that as best they can and get things smooth, keep everybody happy. Um, but so now the king of the Jews is like, well, well, I'll come and hear him. And so this is interesting because now they end up they end up filling out this packing out this big like auditorium there where they were. And um, Agrippa, he literally shows up. I love Acts 25, verse 23. It says, The next day Agrippa and Bernice, so the king of the Jews and his wife, literally come with great pomp, it says. That word's fantasia. I think that's so cool. It's like, this was like, you know, I don't know if it's like, I don't know, like the Tyler Rose Parade or something like that, real fancy. What a joke, you know what I mean? Sorry. Um, But something like, you know what I mean? It's like this high society, like big deal. You know, the King Agrippa is there. You know what I'm saying? And he comes with all this fantasia and this big pomp and all this stuff. And they're in this big auditorium. And it says all the commanders and the the, uh, prominent men of the city were there as well. So now, like, you get... Paul is not like thinking, well, God told me to go here, so this is where I'm going to go. Why? What's wrong with my life? And where am I doing? He's yielded so, so much to the Lord that he's putting before regional governors on a regular basis and all their people on a very regular basis. And now he's in front of all these, the king of the Jews himself, he's in front of all these Roman soldiers. And these aren't centurions. These are people that are over thousands. These are large commanders, so elite military commanders and leader, all high society people there. They're in an auditorium, and <clears throat> Paul gets to step to the stage. To him, it's just like, you know, Sunday service all over again. He just gets, it just comes right to his doorstep, and he gets to speak the gospel and the truth to all these people. So what some would consider as a failure of a minister, and actually most people thought he was a failure, you know, um, he was laying up more treasure in heaven, and he was infecting more people with the light and with truth than anybody in the world at that point. From, from being, on, being arrested. Isn't that crazy? You know, Such a different mentality, such a different mindset. Agrippa, the king, literally comes to him, Acts 26, in, in this big auditorium and says, all right, you're, you're permitted to speak for yourself. <laughs> Which, I'm not going to read it, but it's like, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I will answer for myself today. You know, I just see this little, this little guy up there that's just like, boom. It's kind of like, I got you right where I want you. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, Luke Skywalker looking at Jabba. <laughs> this is your last chance, Jabba. Free us or die. You know what I mean? Paul's almost like, I'm glad you're all here to listen to the gospel. It's like, no, they're not. Like, you're on trial. Like, no, they're not. This is for, this is for me to speak. You know, and he talks about the manner of his life and how zealous he was and how he's really in trouble for for the resurrection. And 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 then he goes, I was on the road on the way to Damascus. It's like, here he goes again. You know what I mean? The same dude telling the same story. You know what I mean? And um, therefore, King Agrippa, I I was I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I'm declaring all this stuff to you. And as he was speaking, Festus, that governor, 
with a loud voice. He's like, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. Like, dude, you have gone crazy. This guy met you, you enveloped in life and heaven, you know what I mean? You know, all the stuff you're saying, like, this is, like, you're smart, man. You know this stuff. You can tell, he, you know the scrolls, man. You know the scrolls, you know the Torah well, but, like, how are you, like, you're, you've gone a little overboard, man. And he's like, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. And then he looks at King Agrippa and he says, for the king before whom I also speak knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escape his attention since the thing was done not in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He started addressing the king straight on him. It's almost like, you know, there was, Paul would be intent. They would be intent like he would see somebody. Some of the times they would see somebody and they, they would see that they had faith for healing. It's like, boom, he's got faith for healing. And he would speak into that stuff. And this time right here, he zoned in on Agrippa and it's like, Sometimes when you're speaking, you can tell if something's going in or if it's not. And it's just like, I think he, I think he locked in like, oh, oh. King's sitting up in his, in his great fantasia, in his pomp, and he's like, oh, this is going in, isn't it? This is hitting you, isn't it? You're feeling this, aren't you? You know what I mean? He tagged into it. He's like, you, you believe the prophets? I know that you do. You know what I mean? This is, you know about this story, don't you? I know that you believe, is what he tells him. <clears throat> so it's Agrippa. <clears throat> You almost persuade me to become a Christian, Paul. <laughs> You're getting there close. To which Paul says this, which is the most beautiful scene to me if I'm just looking at it like in an auditorium with you know, a thousand people there or whatever it is, all the most elites. This guy's sitting there just emanating light and hope like this thing is real, guys. I was zealous. I was angry. I was, I was, I was trapped. You know what I mean? I was, my mind was not free, but I'm free now. My conscience is completely in totally clear now I have nothing to hide you know and he's sitting there happy and he's like look you almost persuade me to become a Christian I would to God Paul says that not only you but everyone who hears me today might both become almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains of course it's like it's like it was like man I want you all to have what I have this is the peace that I have the peace of mind, the wholeness, the love that I feel, like the one that should be the most unloved. I, I was killing his kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was attacking his family. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and his great love has casted all that fear from me. Like I don't have fear of him anymore that I always used to have. And I realized it was nothing about me. It was everything about him. And now I cannot but exude that love, joy, peace, and kindness to you guys. And I wish you guys could, would just let go of your egos and grab onto this just like me. Because, man, I've, what, what I've got, you've got to get it, put it in you. Yeah? Right, Anthony Kiedis? Yeah, but it's like, what I've got, you've got to get it, get it in you. N not the chains, but the rest. To which there are, whoa. Whoa, okay. <laughs> All right, well, he wants to go to Caesar, so we're sending him to Rome. Get him out of here. You know what I mean? And that was the deal. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant how he exuded his life? Man. So, so Luke, Luke, the doctor, gets to ride with them. They mail him out of there. They're like, send him to Rome. Not our problem, but at the same time, it's a real deal. 
We won't do it, but Acts 27 is, is, is the story of, of one of the shipwrecks that Paul endures. He's on a ship as a prisoner with several hundred prisoners, actually. It's not a very small deal. And he tries to warn the guy that owns the ship and the people that are sailing, like, hey, we shouldn't do this. It's going to cause a lot of loss and maybe even a lot of loss of life. We shouldn't sail in this time. And they're like, hey, why are we going to listen to a prisoner tell us where to go? <laughs> who, this guy thinks he's in charge. Like, who is this little guy? Be quiet, you know. Get back, sit in the back, you know what I mean? So they literally start sailing. And the winds and the storms get so terrible of the boat that it's like starting to break. And they're having to throw everything overboard. And they, they were in the deep. They were in the water for like sun or moon didn't appear for, for like over a week. Acts 27, 20. And so they weren't eating. But then all of a sudden, everyone thinks they're going to die. A couple hundred people-ish on this, on this ship. And here comes Saul again, taking his moment. This is the moment. It's not like, I've got to be here. This is my ministry. He stands up and he says, hey, everybody. There stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve. And he told me not to be afraid that I must go before Caesar. So it's like, hey, I knew I was going to make it to Rome. God's assured me I'm making it to Caesar. So I know this looks really bad, but stick with me. We're going to make it. You know, And it said, God has granted you all those who sail with you. As if he's in charge. As if he's the one leading the charge. And maybe even in his mind, oh, I'm not really, I mean, I know I am a prisoner on this ship and there's guards and there's centurions, there's a hundred soldiers, you know, but really they're just my escorts because God wants me to go to Rome. He wasn't looking at it as this trial. He was looking at it as like, imagine seeing your life that way constantly because you're so directed by God. That's, that would be interesting, huh? You know. So they're like, all right, well, he's like, everybody needs to take some food and eat. So everyone ate, and then they threw the rest of the wheat off the ship because they were going to try to run the ship aground and see if they could get close enough to an island because a lot of people couldn't swim. It says in verse 30 that a bunch of the sailors during, the, during this traumatic thing, and after, after Paul has said this stuff, they were seeking to try to escape the ship. So they let down the skiff or these skiffs, the little boats on the sides of the ship. But they were pretending like, hey, yeah, we got to go, go out there so we can put the anchor far enough off the boat. That we're, but what they're really, this thing's going down. Everyone's going to die. We're going to get in these boats and try to get the heck out of Dodge. But Paul actually shows up and he, and he, and he says to the centurion and the soldiers, hey, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. And so they cut the, sh they cut the skiff, off, skiff, skiff and let it go. Yeah, think about Like, this guy's a prisoner. Hey, everybody, it's okay. We can eat now. Everybody needs to eat. I, an angel came to me last night, told me God's bringing me to talk, to talk to Caesar. They're like, that guy's a prisoner. He's not talking to Caesar. Is this, is this a load of crap? Is this real? Because this doesn't seem real. And it's like, he, he thinks he's driving the ship. He's like, oh, no, God's bringing me there. Y'all stay with me. He's granted, every, granted me everybody on the ship. Then some of them are like, no. These people are going to die. We need to get a dozen or so off of, we, of us off of here. And it's like, hey, if you do that, if you don't stay with me, you're not going to live. Jabba, it's your last chance. Release us or die, right? Han Solo, anybody? Yeah, I think you know that. Is it's like, hey, man, he he's living in this way, this captive. 
this Jewish zealous little fellow that is like, hey, don't try to escape. Listen, you guys got to stay with me. Life is with me. God's guarding me. And if you want to be under the umbrella, stay with Papa. It's like, Papa, you're the little guy on the ship and you're, you're, you're in jail. He's like, everybody, eat your food. Not one hair is going to fall off your head. Then they encouraged themselves. That's, okay, sorry, that's when they threw all the, the rest of the weed off the, off the ship. Boom. So they let go of the anchors. They struck into a place. Everybody that couldn't swim got aboard and jumped on it, had to paddle in, and the people that could swim jumped on it, and not a single person died, just as he said. Even got to the point where the, where the soldiers were like, hey, we need to kill some of these, these uh, captives because they're just going to get out of Dodge. And then Saul again, I mean Paul, it's like, hey, ah, 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 ah. There, no one's going to leave. I'm in charge. Like he's in charge of the centurion, in charge of the soldiers, and it's like, hey, this is just a ship, a ship that's taking me where I'm going to go. Isn't that funny? How the, the, the fear of the Lord or the reality of heaven that emanated from this guy steered his life and it steered those other lives around him. There's not one single person on that ship that didn't go through that traumatic experience that didn't think like, whoa, th- I mean, what were they telling their wives, some of them soldiers, when they got back from that trip? Like, there's no way. The sun didn't even shine for this many days. Like, well, there's no way we should have lived. Um, there was this, this guy said an angel told him we're going to be all right. What? You know what I mean? It's like his reality became infectious to everyone where he was. They literally get off the boat, and it says, the natives of the island called Malta showed us unusual kindness. And they were bringing wood together, and, and so Paul was actually helping them, and a viper pops out of the, out of the fire and, and latches itself on him. You know what I'm saying? Latches itself on his hand. But it's a, a highly poisonous snake, to which it's hilarious in Acts 28 when the, when the I don't want to call them aborigines or the, like the natives, when they saw the, um, the snake that latched on his hand, they were like, like surely this guy's a murderer because... <laughs> he's, he's not going you know, he's not the gods are really not letting him get away with it he thought he was going to get free after this it says he shook, his, shook the thing off of his hand the poison didn't set into him and then the natives thought that he was some sort of a god so that's just the legend of Paul just a strange, a strange thing you know Jesus you know, they'll take up deadly serpents and it won't, it won't harm them you know what I mean he got bit by a poisonous snake on an island a highly venomous snake and it didn't affect him pretty wild yeah, everywhere the guy went. It says also in that region, a region they were not intending to go to, there was a leading citizen of the land whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So this is most likely the governor of Malta. That's what most historians will say. It's the governor of Malta. He has this massive estate. He's, he's, if he's receiving and, and feeding these hundreds of people and taking care of them for three days. But it happened that his dad was sick with a fever and dysentery. It says, Paul went into him and prayed, and when he laid his hands on the guy, he healed him. So when this, is, when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So think about this. Hey, let me shake this snake off. You're a god. No, I'm not. So now you've got some aborigines, and they have a sign that, that, that can be communicated to them so the gospel can be communicated to them because this guy is not just because he's bent on, I've got to talk to Caesar. I'm highly educated. I'm the most, 
I'm the most qualified Jewish man that there is to break this stuff down. I speak Greek. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm the perfect one to, to hit the nail on the head of this thing and maybe break it off into Rome. And, but he's not just thinking that. He doesn't have this ego that's like, I'll just wait till I get there. It's like everywhere he goes, he values where he's at. And because of that, boom, and I can prove that. But because of that, it spreads everywhere he goes. The, the Roman soldiers, all the other prisoners, we all should have been dead. But it wasn't, but because but, it's the process of the mundanity of life. And I think sometimes we get, people can get bored with their life um, and even daydream or wishing they were in a place that they're not, that they can't see the value of the place that they were. Because God wanted those Romans to hear the message. He wanted the sailors, the crew to hear the message. He wanted the prisoners to get it. He wanted those aborigines to get it in a way that they could understand it. What better way? Let that, you know, that dang rattlesnake, you know, bite them, you know, whatever it was. Copperhead, you know, some type of monstrous viper. He wanted Publius and these people on the island. They would never heard this story. But every, it's like everywhere he sees, like, you know, you, you, ever, you know, I don't want to say it like that. But, you know, some people have a, have a train of, like, havoc they, they leave in their life of everywhere they've been. That's kind of the way he was wreaking havoc of the church. Now it's like everywhere he was, it's just like woof. the light of heaven, the reality of heaven, the reality of God and knowing Jesus is spreading through the place. And if you read his words, that's what he's talking about. It's like, hey, I count these all things as a loss compared to knowing Jesus. It's not like, well, I've got it going on. He doesn't talk about the, his sweat rags and handkerchiefs that, that go from his body. Luke writes about that. He never mentions it. But he exuded this, I've been I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He exuded this and believed it in such a way that it permeated his being through his sweat. Just like Peter's shadow. They wanted to get in his shadow, in his proximity, because they thought they would be healed. It's like these guys were, were so in the revelation that they had been fully and completely forgiven and were totally loved. And that was the source of the power that emanated through them. It was the testimony of Jesus. It was the spirit of prophecy. That's what it all was. And if we, it unlocks everything. Jedediah is, is the key that unlocks everything. The beloved of God, to understand that you are the beloved of God, no matter what you've done or what you are doing, that unlocks every single thing in him. Because it, it, it's the reversal of all things. And so this message that, he's, that the Pharisees are so angry about, like, God's the one that brought me here and I'm at complete and total peace in my heart. Those two things, he could say, even not only when he was on trial in front of them, he could say on that ship, oh, I had an angel stand by me. Not a hair on nobody's head is going to get pulled off. Like, God's allowed me to be here. This is a good thing. It's like the waves are crashing. This is not good. Why are we listening to that guy over there? He's a prisoner. Better look at ah, don't you cut don't you cut them gifts down, boy? Like, don't do it. You better stay close to me. What are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He just lived this life. He lives this life in the moment. Could us knowing the Lord in our life and listening to him? You know? Like Jarius. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter, she didn't make it. Was that true? Yeah, it was true. In a sense, it was a fact, but it wasn't the truth. And what did Jesus say to Jairus in Mark 5? Even though he was interrupted by that woman that touched his cloth, we talked about that last week, touched his hymn, he said, do not, 
Do not be afraid, only believe. Imagine if that was our reality. Imagine if like fear was never allowed to dictate our reaction. Any reaction. Imagine if fear was never allowed to dictate any reaction we had. Only belief in what he says. You know, he would say that. He would say, find the letters in red, read them out loud, agree with those, and don't believe to something that contradicts it. That's what he would say. That's what he says. Find them. Read them. And the letters in black. We know that Paul ends up writing a lot of the letters in black. You know what I mean? Which is hilarious. But he, he talks about these things. He speaks this way. He says, he talks about all the stuff that he has going on. He talks about how people boast in the flesh. He talks about like, my fear is as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Like, hey, it's simple. It's not a religious game. It's not, oh, this knowledge I got to know. It's like, you can know him, the simplicity of what he's done, Christ crucified. You can know him and walk with him. And guess what? It will cause you to be contagious. It will cause you to manifest the victory of heaven everywhere you go. That was his message. And Paul's like, my fear, speaking of fear, the way the serpent, eat this and then you'll be like that. Use all this knowledge, use all this stuff. It's like, do this and then you'll be like God. My fear is that, that guess what? Like, hey, you'll be led away from the simplicity. This thing is simple. It's simple to knowing him and believing what he says and navigating your life through him. Not through what we think is success. Everyone boasts into the flesh. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they sons of Abraham? So am I. I'm, I, am, I am more. But guess what? I've been in labors more abundant, stripes beyond measures, prisons and more frequently, in deaths often, in deaths, what? Um, from the Jews, I've had five times the 40 stripes minus one. It's like, hey, they can't beat this out of me and stop me from saying this. I'll take anything, it I'll take anything they give to me because it is that real and, I, and you must know it. Three times I was beaten with rods, I was stoned. That's execution. Three times I was shipwrecked, so we just got that one. You know, I've had all of these things, but beside these things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. It's like, I want you to get this more than anything, because if you get this, the whole world won't be able to contain it. Like the, the gates of hell won't be able to prevail. You know, it's doubtful, not profitable for me to boast. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know but he was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know. He was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, things he's not even allowed to utter. He's talking about himself. He's like, hey, this, this thing had become so real to him, this other world that he represented, I've been into it and I'm not even allowed to say or communicate some of this stuff. But he was so convinced that no matter what comes against me, I won't stop. It's way more real than this. And that's where he was with it. And then he tells us these things. Colossians 4, about having our minds lifted up. He asks, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant within it with all thanksgiving. This will be my closing verse, Colossians 4. 
Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside and redeem the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. In other words, look at this. Closing it, closing it up. Continue earnestly prayer and also pray for us. He's asking for prayer. That God would open a door for, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. This dude was not that I, that I get to go to Caesar, that I get to go to this or I get to that. He's like, if you want to pray for me, pray that that door will crack open around me and I get to take my shot. He's like Kobe Bryant. Just shooting, shooting, shooting all the time. You know what I mean? He was always looking for his shot. He wasn't looking for it down the road. He's like, you want to pray for me? Pray that the door cracks open around me because I will shoot. You, kick, you push the door open, I'm going to run through it. Now what the rednecks say, you kick it open, I'll run through it, something like that. But he's like, if the door will open up, I'll run through it. Pray that I have more opportunities to take my shots. That's what he said, which he always did. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Just like King Agrippa, it was manifesting. Oh, I'm speaking. Oh, it's, it's connecting. It's hitting him. You know? And then he goes on and says, walk in wisdom to those who are outside and redeem the time. This little slice of time that you've been given that you call life that seems really, really long, it's not. So walk with the wisdom of heaven towards those who don't know and redeem this time. And let your speech be with grace, not condemnation. Season it with salt. Have good flavor about yourself. And preserve people that you'll know how to answer each one. He was like, look for your shots in the here and now. I'm going to look for mine. Pray that I get mine off. But look for yours everywhere you're at. Walk with wisdom and redeem the time that you're in. Not, not focusing on what's coming and the ministry that's coming. What's coming right now. Because the right now opens the next step. Well, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, which is so good and beautiful. We thank you for even our older brothers, Peter. We thank you for Paul, that we're talking about him today. And just this heart to be fruitful and multiply in every season and every place that he finds himself. Lord, Lord, I ask that by your spirit, like, that you would open to us a door for the word to speak that mystery. For the ability to be ready to answer about the hope that we have or the experience that we've had in you or the reality of this, this one in whom we walk with, Lord. Lord, even as Paul, Paul was saying in his writings, like all the stuff that he counted as a loss compared to knowing you, we, our heart is to know you and to know you in all things, in the hard things and the victorious things, in all things that we would see like you. And that, that sight even would, would um, enlighten our path and the path of those around us. Amen.